0: Good morning. I hope uh, this morning finds you well. It is good to always be worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning to you, and good morning to you who are watching this on the live stream at home. Welcome. We're glad that you are here with us as well. Um, I just want to say this real quick. I really want to preach from behind this thing. (laughs) Maybe I'm the only one on staff that could actually thought about that. The guy said I should do it, but I'm not going to do it. Well, we are in a message series in the book of Acts called Voyage. And today, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, 32 through eleven eighteen. So it's quite a large amount of scripture that we're going to cover. Uh, we're going to look at this scripture in some scenes, and there's going to be some places where I'm going to read and some places I'm going to summarize. But there are there's a few questions I, guys, I want you guys to ponder before we dive into the scripture today. I want you to think back um, about your life and coming to Christ. Um, I want you to think about the time where, when you knew about God, uh, but you didn't love God. There was a time where you might have been sitting in church. last uh, baptism we had, he talked about, I sat in church, we read the Bible, but I didn't really know God. I just knew about God. Think about that time when you knew about God, And then when you came to really know him and love God when the Holy Spirit came. The second thing I want to think about um, is is this idea of what people do you have in your life that you have a hard time reaching out to? The type of people that when you see in stores, you kind of start to question or or think about them in a certain way. What people do you have a hard time reaching out to? What people would you say, I'm not going to their home. I will not deal with those people. You see, today in today's scriptures, we deal with those two types of questions. Cornelius is uh, a centurion here. He's a, a Roman soldier, and he's pondering this question about knowing about God. But it wasn't until Peter came and preached about Christ that he actually comes to Christ. And we have Peter here who's wrestling with, do I really go to these Gentiles? Do I break all the ritual boundaries and, and interact with these people here in the beginning of Acts here, uh, chapter 9? And see, that's the cool thing about this book of Acts. Um, there's a theme that runs throughout this Bible of God's radical, inclusive love. God loves people. And we see the Holy Spirit at work here in Acts. We see Jesus at his, his, his works and his disciples at work here. And uh, today, when we look at Acts, um, and, and starting in chapter 9, we consider this the Petrine uh, message here. The Petrine meaning that these are the stories pertaining to Peter. And uh, in the narrative here, this is a big section where we've ended uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, and now we're making a pivot, and we're looking at the messages of Peter and Peter's ministry here. And that this is a big deal that we go here into Acts chapter 9 and 10. I'm just going to summarize the end of chapter 9 here. The end of chapter 9 here, we had last seen Peter in chapter 8. He was in Samaria laying hands on some people when the Holy Spirit came. Here in chapter 9, we see Peter again. Uh, and there's a map here kind of of, of where he's going. Uh, Jerusalem uh, is about, uh, I would say, about 23 miles to Lida there. Uh, he goes to Lida here and then he meets a guy that has been bedridden for eight years. Uh, this man, he prays for him, he is healed. Um, uh, news about what has happened. People are coming to Christ. They're seeing these miracles. Um, so, uh, so there was a few men and disciples from Joppa that heard about this miracle, and they go down to Lydda, and they go get Peter and said, Peter, you got to come here. Uh, a sister of ours has died, Dorca. I prefer you to use the name Tabitha. That's a, that's a, that's a better name, I think. It's a tough name. If your name is Dorca, <laughs> Tabitha is the way to go. Um, So uh, they come down from Joppa. They go get him. you got to come help this lady. Tabitha, she had died. These widows are mourning. Uh, They're really upset that she had died. He comes, hasn't get out of the room. He prays for her. She rises. He helps her up. And people are coming to Christ here. There's some really awesome miracles going on here. Now, Peter's in Joppa. And if you guys remember that Joppa is modern-day Tel Aviv here. Uh, Joppa, about 800 years earlier, is where Jonah fled to when God told him to go preach to the Ninevites. He said, I'm not going. So he went to Joppa and he hid out there. And now Peter is placed in Joppa with the same type of uh, a message that he needs to deliver to the Gentiles. But luckily, Peter does not flee here. And you see, now this brings us to chapter 10. And uh, if you guys remember, back in uh, Genesis chapter 12... Uh, God gives a promise to Abraham, and he says to Abraham that I will bless the people through your family, that you will be a great nation, and all the people on the earth will be blessed. We also have that promise reiterated in Acts 1:8, and he says where the gospel will spread to throughout the land and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But there was a problem here. There was deep racial intolerance. This is nothing new to our society. You can look anywhere today, and there's deep racial intolerance everywhere with all sorts of different people uh, from all over the world. People hate each other, right? We live in a society where people don't like each other, and they try to be better than them. They try to wipe them out. They try to hurt them, and this is no different here. We have Jews and Gentiles who don't get along. As a matter of fact, the Gentiles at one point referred, or the Jews referred to the Gentiles as dogs. That is not a favorable term. The Jewish culture was forbidding uh, to even go into a Gentile's home. They wanted to keep their tradition apart. They, they wanted to, to, to not associate with these people. But we have a problem here. How is the gospel going to reach to the ends of the earth if Peter doesn't step out of his comfort zone and reach across these boundaries to invite these people into the gospel? And you see here in chapter 10, we have that miracle beginning to unfold. We are here today because of this miracle that's unfolding here in chapter 10. If we think about the gospel throughout the ages, like the gospel had to make it through the Middle Ages. What a dark time of history that was. But the gospel has prevailed. We are sitting here today in northeast Ohio because the gospel has prevailed. Amen? And that's what we see here, the miracle of the gospel prevailing, even despite our own selves. So Luke here in chapter 10 uh, through 1118, has structured this longest narrative in the book of Acts into seven different scenes. Now, some of these scenes that are going to be up here on the screen, I'm going to read, and we're going to talk about, and other ones I'm going to, the, to uh, summarize. But uh, what's interesting about this is that Luke is a physician, but he's also the only Gentile to write a, the, the book, of the, a book of the Bible. And why is this important here is because Luke is looking at this from a perspective as somebody who was an outcast at some point, somebody who had to be converted, somebody that was not a part of the Jewish fold. He is now writing this long narrative because as a Gentile, I believe what he's saying is you've got to listen to what God has done. So he is using a lot of repetition to belabor the point about God has moved this gospel for everybody. So we're going to start out in scene one, the vision of Cornelius. So look in your Bibles at chapter 10. Scene one is going to be one through eight. Verse one says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So the Roman army drew regiments from all over the Roman empire. This one in Caesarea was from Italy. Um, this Caesarea port is one of the largest strategic ports in the city. This is where the Roman government in Judea is set up. So it's a pretty big city here for the Roman government. And a centurion just means simply that he was in charge of about 100 soldiers. So he had a prominent position here in the army and would have been, uh, had much respect and honor and authority. Verse 2, uh, he was a devout man who feared God with his household, gave alms generally to the people, and prayed continually to God. Giving alms just means he would give to the poor, that he would take care of them, he would give generously and, and to those things. Interesting to note that he prayed continually. Cornelius was praying to the Jewish God continually, but he was still a Gentile that had not yet submitted to circumcision. For, 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 a, for a Gentile to become within the fold of God, they would have had to submit it to Jewish rites, and one of those Jewish rites would have been circumcision so they can be converted to Judaism. If he would have done that, that would have caused some big problems for him as a Roman soldier, so he probably wouldn't have done that. Most Romans at this point were polytheistic. They believed in many different gods, a lot of the gods like Zeus and Athena and those sorts of things. But here we have a man who's probably been hearing about this Jewish God and is desiring to know God. And the reason why I say that is because he's praying constantly, him and his household. What a beautiful thing this is. So remember that question I asked you. So now he knows maybe about God, but Cornelius has yet to come to faith and to fall in love with God. But it is cool that he is pursuing God by praying constantly. So in verse 3, it says this, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? This is not Lord like the Lord uh, of, of heaven. This is Lord saying like, like, sir, or something to that degree. And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial to God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner who is a house by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So here we have this vision that Cornelius has that, hey, you need to go to Joppa and get this guy named Peter. We'll know later in Acts chapter 11 that Cornelius says that he knew that Peter was going to come give him a message about salvation. So this is a pretty important thing. He's sending these guys saying, go out there, because Peter has a message from God. I think it's interesting here that Luke repeats himself quite a bit. He wants to make a big deal over the fact that Peter is staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Now, a tanner was somebody who worked with dead animals, uh, carcasses, skins. They would take the the skins off animals. They would hang them up. This is why it was strategic for him to be by the seaport uh, where there was much air. And there was water to cure and to work with these animal hides. Uh, Most tanners would have to be 50 cubits away from the city because it would be really, really stinky. It would stink. Um, They also would be considered ritually unclean. For these animals and for these people who worked with the carcasses, they would be considered outcasts. Because God had said that they're not to do these types of things with animals. And Jewish people would have said, there's no way we're going near there. Uh, Chad and the team are going out to uh, Israel here in a few weeks on a missions trip there, and you can still see Simon the Tanner's house today. There's a a traditional site for that. But he would have been been known as filthy. Um, It even said that if his wife couldn't stand it, uh, back in this old culture, his wife could divorce him because that's how bad this would have been. And there's a a couple times I think about Josh Stone in this. Josh Stone likes to hunt, and uh, he hangs deer carcasses in his garage. To me, that's disturbing and disgusting. I don't want to touch animals, smell animals, let alone cut them open and take their skin off. There's something wrong with that. If you do that, I'm not trying to alien. I just personally, but I think Josh is okay because Deborah has no right to divorce him. She has to stay with him. But that's what Simon the Tanner, and Luke mentions this three times, because I think at this point, I think Peter was looking at this going, well, Jesus was doing these types of things. He was hanging out with lepers, he was was hanging out with women who were having bodily discharge, he touched dead people, and I wonder if Peter was going, you know what, maybe it's time for me to start to loosen the grip on who I associate with. And I think we can see that grip starting to be loosened here, when he's residing at the home of a Tanner, who has all these dead animal carcasses alive. Little to his surprise here in scene 2 that Peter has a vision that's going to take him far beyond just staying at the house of a tanner. So look at that scene 2, Peter's vision in verse 10, verse ten, nine, uh, chapter 10, verse 9. It says, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And then a voice said to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. and says, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once in heaven. There's something with Peter and the number three. There's other times where the Lord needs to tell Peter three times. So be encouraged that there's times where the Lord speaks to us many times because we're stubborn. So Peter, and finally on the third time, understands what the Lord is saying. Some scholars debate about how much that the first Jews would have adhered to these ritual rites. But there was much more than just dietary and animal restrictions comprised in Viticus 11. God gave the Jewish people strict laws on all things, birth, death, sex, gender, health, economics, hygiene, marriage, behavior, and all sorts of things. And Gentiles were considered automatically impure. So God gave these decrees, gave these Levitical codes at first because he wanted his people to be holy do these things because I'm holy. He never said to the Jewish people, do these things and lord them over other people so you can be better than him. He wanted his nation to be set apart. He wanted them to adhere to what he's asking them to do. But at some point, the Jewish people, I think, started to twist this idea of what God had first intended. And I think they began to say, we are better than other people. These people over here are considered dogs. So what was going to happen here? How was this ethnocentric issue uh, of purity and in relationship with these people, these Gentiles, how was this going to be overcome? Well, first, we see that God has given Peter a vision. God, God tells Peter, you're going to do this. You're going to go with these people. And second, because when Christ died on the cross and gave up his life, he opened the curtain, the temple curtain tore for all people to come. Not just the Jews, but Gentiles alike. So God is telling Peter, it's time to go. In scene three here, we have Peter and the messengers journey back, a journey up to Caesarea. So Peter was uh, perplexed at this vision. He was not quite sure even what was happening, who this guy was, what was he supposed to do. There comes a knock at the door, these men come and they relay what, they, uh, what Cornelius has told them to do. Peter just said, I have this vision, and he did not delay, and he went with these men down to Joppa, or up to uh, Caesarea from Joppa, to be with this household. That brings us to scene four, where Peter speaks with Cornelius about the vision. So we are in chapter 10, verse 24, and we'll pick up the story here. It says, On the following day they entered Caesarea, Cornelius was expecting them and had called them together, his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met and fell down on his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And he talked with him and they went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful, it is for a Jew to associate with or visit with anyone from another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered by God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the si- house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and, having, uh, and you have had been kind enough to come. Therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. I love this passage for for two reasons particularly. If you look back in verse 24, Cornelius was expecting them and called together all his relatives and close friends. I think this is a pretty cool idea. When you first came to Christ, it was probably one of the most amazing times of your life, if not the most amazing time. And new believers, there's something about new believers that they want to tell everybody about what just has happened to them. And here we have Cornelius going, hey, there's a message coming about God, a message of salvation, and he invites everybody he knows to come. Think about, when's the last time you invited somebody to come here about Christ? Have you been excited about Christ? You've got to come here about what the Savior's done. You've got to come see what he's done in my life. And you've called all his friends and relatives. How often are you coming to church on Sunday? Now think about this. How often when you woke up this morning did you think, I'm going to meet with the living God? I'm going to meet with my Savior today. He is going to speak to me. I'm going to hear from him through his word. I'm going to worship him. And I'm going to encounter our holy God. See, I think we've become very casual in our our worship very casual in our church attendance, and going, wake up, have a cup of coffee, put on a comfortable outfit, we'll go here for an hour, then we'll go home. Boy, what a sad state of affairs. I hope for you guys that when you wake up on Sundays, you can't wait to hear what the Lord may have for you. And we as preachers have a big responsibility. I hope that I'm hearing from God through this week and the last past week that I'm hearing for God, that I do have a message to give you. What a shame if we don't, if these preachers don't have a message to give. But I love that Cornelius is here saying, you've got to come hear this message. And now we go into Peter's first sermon that was specifically for the Gentile audience. Uh, this is an evangelistic message. This is meant for people to come to Christ. He's coming to tell them, this is how you can have eternal life. So I want you guys to listen what Peter says, starting in verse 34, we're going to look at scene 5 here. So Peter opened his mouth, it's a good start, and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace to Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism That John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did in both the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And then they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God, as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the appointed one by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. Amen? If you ever wondered, how do I preach the gospel? This is a good place to start. For anybody who has yet to follow Jesus Christ, this is the good news. This is what you need to know to have eternal life. In verse 35, he talks about for, for, it's for anybody that is acceptable to him. Now, what he means here is that acceptable is he's talking about a state of being in repentance that the hearer can receive the message of salvation and be released from sin. You guys remember, before you knew God, you may have known about God, our hearts were hardened. We were dead in our transgressions. There was nothing we could do on our own to be revived. But then God came in our lives and began to speak to us. He began to tell us things. He began to show us our sin. And then when God begins to do that, He begins to soften our hearts, and He begins to have this realization of, I'm a sinner that is in need of a Savior. And that's what it's talking about here. God begins to soften the heart that we may be even to receive the message and be released from our sin. Peter goes on to say that Jesus has come to bring peace and that He is the Lord of all. The Old Testament prophesied about John the Baptist as a forerunner coming to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus comes and is baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And when Jesus is baptized at the age of 30, we see the sky open up, a dove descend, the spirit descend like a dove, and the father say, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Jesus comes and he heals the oppressed, those who are snared by the devil to do his will. And you see, Jesus came to give his life for us. He was beaten for our sins. They beat him beyond recognition. They took a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head. They mocked Jesus. They spit on him. They slapped him. They said, if you're the son of God, let's see you do these miracle things. And then they nailed him to a cross. They put nails into his wrists and into his feet, and he suffered on the cross. God the Father poured out his wrath on his son Jesus Christ for you and I. We the sinners, we the guilty ones, go free for whoever put their faith in Christ. Christ's blood was shed in order that we may have eternal life. He lived a perfect life. And his blood was shed for you and for me. You see, Christ died for all. He died for the mentally ill, people with multiple marriages, wealthy executives, welfare recipients, conservative, liberals, pedophiles, terrorists, rapists, and all those who de- de- mock and defile his name. He's died for them all. And we too were once in that place. We too we're once dead in our transgression and need of a Savior. This last trimester, the men and women did this study by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. And one of the things that Tozer talks about here is following hard after God. Yes, it's the Lord who needs to awaken us. He moves first. But when He begins to start to stir us, then it's our responsibility to continue to pursue into God. And sometimes that takes following hard after God. Cornelius didn't know who Christ was, but he knew of a Jewish God. And what, how did Cornelius press hard after God? He prayed continually, Lord, move in my life. Be a part of my life. I want to know you. And I just don't want to know you, but I want to love you. I want to know who you are. We have to follow hard after God. Cornelius pursued God. He just didn't want to know about God, he wanted to have the power of God. And how many of us have that story? I've prayed this for the 17th time to receive Christ, but I feel no power. I would say keep pursuing God. Ask Him to soften your heart. Ask Him to grant you repentance that leads to transformation. Ask Him to give you the Holy Spirit, and don't give up until that change comes. It's for everybody, this gift. And in scene 6 here, this is where the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles. Verse 44 says, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fall on those who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had came with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles. So for they were hearing and speaking in tongues and extolling God, Peter declared, can anyone withhold baptism from these people since they received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked him to remain with him a few more days. I look at this as the Gentile Pentecost. God uh, shows up on the scene. God interrupts Peter, and God is the one who does a miraculous work. The Holy Spirit falls on these people, and there is no doubt because Peter's looking at this and going, this is exactly what happened to us at Pentecost. Now what's happening to the Gentiles, there's no mistaking here that God is at work. Peter had brought six people with him, and I wonder if there was a conversation going, wow, should we really baptize them now? Maybe we should wait. Like Maybe this isn't good enough. And I think Peter turned around and said, well, wait a minute. This is the same change agent that changed us that's changing them. Why should we hinder them from being baptized? And here we have them being baptized here on the spot. There was evidence that these guys were changed. They saw the evidence. And this is going to be important for his brothers in Jerusalem to know that there is evidence here. You see, there needs to be signs that somebody has been transformed. See, that's why we have baptism classes here at CVC, and we have some baptisms here today. We have baptism classes because we want to be able to sit down with people who want to be baptized to see if there's been true conversion. Now, we are not ones who judge. We are not ones who give the Holy Spirit or do any of those types of things, but we want to see evidence that they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. You would be amazed how many times I sit down with people and they have a hard time articulating the gospel. They don't know how to speak about Jesus' love. They don't know how to speak about what he's done on the cross. And they have a hard time saying, I love Jesus. I love Christ. Do you love Christ? We want to see that evidence. I don't care what the testimony, I don't care about some people want to talk about, oh, my Aunt Mary brought me to baptism class and it's so wonderful that she brought me. That's all good and fine. But I want somebody to sit down and say, I love Jesus, he changed my life because of what he done on the cross. I was the chief of sinners. I was dead in my transgression because of what he did. He took my sin and now I can go free. There's evidence, there's that natural outpouring. Baptism is an inward sign, an outward sign of an inward reality. If you have been born again, if you have the Holy Spirit, there's no reason to delay in being baptized. You have an opportunity to testify about your love for the Savior. This is an opportunity to say, I'm with him. That's what I tell all our baptism candidates. I want you to walk out of here and go, I don't know who just spoke on the screen, but they're pointing to me to Jesus. I want to know him. Cornelius was doing that to his relatives. You got to come because we need to know him we want to know him we have a next baptism is august 14th you can go online and start the process of baptism i'd love to talk to you about that process and getting baptized you see we need to move from that religion to relationship and uh, in our home i i i grew up in a non-christian home uh, i married my wife who also lives in a non-christian home in the sense a lot of religion but no real faith. And um, we've been praying like crazy for years that, that, that people would start to come to faith. And, you know, we've talked with them, we've shared the gospel, we've done those things. But one of our nieces went off uh, to school, and all of a sudden I start to hear there's reports about her. She's starting to read some books that are books that I've been reading. She's gotten a new Bible, she's got some women who are mentoring her in the things of Scripture and who Christ is. So my my interest is being piqued. So I remember her coming home, and then I see her sitting here in our amongst our congregation. She's worshiping here, and I remember I sat next to her one day, and I said, "So tell me what's going on." And she's telling me about like, "Hey, I've I've been in church my whole life, but I've never really heard about the person of Christ, and I want to know Him." And so I asked her, "Have you been born again? Do you think you've been born again?" And she said, "I don't know. All I know is that when I hear the word being preached, I feel the Holy Spirit." I said, "That counts." <laughs> She felt something different. She could hear God speaking through her. And then uh, she decided, you know what, I want to go serve people. So she's on mission in Africa right now. She's helping women and children, sharing the gospel with them, but also helping them with nutrition and just how to raise children. And uh, the day before she left, uh, my wife and I went over to pray with her. And I remember walking out the back door. I opened the back door, and she was on the back porch with two of our younger nieces doing a Bible study in the book of Hebrews. Is that evidence of change? nothing I did. I couldn't believe it. It's nothing that Pastor Dean did. This was God at work in our family's life that it's starting to sweep through. And I pray that all of our family would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. But there needs to be that evidence that we've moved from religion. Hey, I'm just showing up here to I can't get enough of the word. I want somebody to mentor me. I want to know more. We have classes here and there's pastors who want to meet with people to teach you about who Christ is very few take advantage of those times. Can you believe that? When I was a young believer, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I desired to hang out with a mentor of mine all the time. And what he would do with me, he would open up the word. So we have people who are professing faith, but they're not wanting to come to learn more about Christ. There needs to be evidence of these changes, moving from, relation, from religion to relationship. There's going to be evidence. So the Holy Spirit comes. Now Peter's got to go back to Jerusalem and tell his brothers, hey, listen, this gospel is for everybody. In scene seven, Peter reports to the church in Jerusalem. The beginning here, he talks about he goes to out Judea and the Gentiles had received, he talks about how the Gentiles received the word of God. So Peter went up to Jerusalem to the circumcision party. Isn't that a funny word, circumcision party? Democrats, Republican, circumcision party. Maybe it's a new ticket we can run on. But what's the first thing they do? They start criticizing him. How in the, what are you doing, Peter, hanging out with these uncircumcised? What are you doing? It's not for them. And then Peter begins to tell the story and say, no, listen, and these six brothers here have witnessed with me that the Holy Spirit has come. Let's pick back up in verse 14. And he will declare a message to you by which you will be saved. So Peter declares a message to Cornelius and a household in which they'll be saved. And he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did us in the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord. So Peter knows of the word of the Lord. He remembers what the Lord has said. And he said that um, uh, John baptized with water um, and gave us when uh, we, let 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 me say that again. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in their way? And when he heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. There's only God who grants repentance. I want you guys to know that. We see that here at the end of the verse here. We see that here in 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 25 says, God may perhaps grant people repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth that they may come to their senses. So those who are not in Christ are not in their senses. We need to be patient with those people, right? We need to be patiently, the Bible verse says right before that, we have to be patiently enduring their evil because they're not in their senses, So I want you to ask yourself that question again. If we know they're not in their right senses, who are the people that you're saying, I'm not going to go share with them. They scare me. They're dangerous. I'm scared they're going to influence my children wrong. Who are those people that we say, I'm not going to go touch? But if God is the one who grants repentance, if they're ensnared to do the devil's will, we have to understand that it's our job to keep pushing the gospel forward. Today, if you hear my voice, the gospel is being preached to you. And I want you to ask, if you're not in Christ yet, ask him to grant you repentance that leads to life. Say to the Lord, I no longer want to be ensnared. And I want to come to a knowledge that my sin has separated me from you and I want new life. Cry out to him and don't stop crying out to him. Don't give up in that. And if you're a believer here, we are witnesses to the world. You see, Jesus was repeatedly criticized because of his casual disregard for ritual purity. Like I said before, Jesus touched the leopard, ignored the Sabbath laws, touched a woman with bodily discharge, befriended the giants, the Gentiles, hand, uh, handled dead bodies and corpses. Jesus didn't care. He hung out with those people. We need to be hanging out with those people. There's a a few months ago, we did a conference here called The Unbelievable Gospel. I'm sure some of you are part of it. And uh, there we had training to learn about different religions and what they believe and how we can minister to them and how we can share the gospel with them. There was uh, uh, one on Judaism and one on Muslim over here. And I went to the one on Muslim, and the young man that was speaking was a Muslim that had been converted to Christianity. And he was saying that when these Muslim students are coming over here to go to school, they usually bring gifts with them. They bring a few gifts, three or four gifts that they pack in their suitcase because they want to share and befriend Westerners. He said the majority of the time, these students go home with those gifts, that nobody has befriended them. They're curious about going into Americans' homes, and most times Americans won't want Muslims into their homes. So these kids are going home, not even having a conversation or relationship with anybody. What a missed opportunity that is for us to share the gospel. Part of this international friends group is uh, they have a ministry where people like us minister to these students and invite them into our homes, have Thanksgiving dinner with them, Christmas dinner, and begin to build a relationship with them. Is there a certain person or there are certain people where you're like, nope, I'm not going to deal with them? Transgender homosexuality, these issues are becoming big in our culture today. Would you reach across and to love one of those people? Where? Or do you draw the line and say, there's no way I'm ever going to let a transgender in my house. <laughs> no way. Is there a certain people group that you won't reach out to? Because when I look at Scripture, doesn't it say Jesus hung out with all these people? And he loved on all these people? Galatians three twenty-six. Through 29 says this So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. How many of us are children? Okay. We are all children of God. For of you who were baptized into Jesus Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for all are one in Christ. If you belong in Christ, you are Abraham's seed, the heirs according to his promise. There are people, there are certain people that we are going to exclude. We've talked about those people. You know, there's times where have we distorted our self-sacrificing love of God into a self-serving elitism? Well, I'm better. I know more. I'm better than these people. I don't need to associate with them. I want to challenge you. If there are those people that God has died for all of them, and they need to hear the word, they need to not only know about God, But the Holy Spirit needs to come and radically transform their lives. The last thing I want to mention is we are witness to the world by what we say. Peter opened his mouth and out came the gospel. When's the last time you opened your mouth and out came the gospel? When's the last time you opened your mouth and you told somebody about salvation and about how they can have a relationship with Christ? You see, these baptism testimonies that we're going to hear in just a minute are saying just that. Brian and Nicole Rocks are going to be saying that Jesus Christ has changed my life, and I want to testify publicly that I am with him and that he is my savior, and I want to go public and be baptized to show that I'm a new creation. If you're a believer in this room, when's the last time you opened your mouth and shared the gospel with somebody? And if you don't know how to share the gospel, go back home and read what Peter said and then start to practice it with each other. Start to practice this gospel with each other. So if you're here today, here's just a few things of application, maybe help you grow in your way. Um, If you're here today and you just uh, want to know more about how to follow Jesus or you're new in Christ, um, there's an opportunity that you can text in on this phone number and uh, one of us will get in contact with you. We have pastors and elders that want to meet with you and help you grow in Christ. Please reach out to us. We want to help you grow in Christ. Out in the foyer, there is baptism watermark books that talk all about baptism. Our next baptism is August 14th. This could be an opportunity for you to be baptized and go public and testify. There's also taproot booklets out there. These taproot booklets is a six-week study that's going to help you grow in Christ. So if you have a few people that you want to disciple or if you yourself want to grow, this is a resource for you as well. So I want to just reiterate those two points. When have you gone from religion to love of Christ? And who are you not willing to cross over the boundaries and minister to? So, Heavenly Father, we pray for those things, Lord. I pray first for in this room that if there's anybody who doesn't know you, Christ, that you would soften their hearts, that you indeed would grant them repentance, and that they would come to you in a saving knowledge of your love for them. And, Father, if there's anyone that we have been uh, prejudiced towards, Lord, soften our hearts that we would no longer look at somebody as dirty or unclean or unreachable, that you died for all people, and that we are to reach out to all people. Lord, put that on our hearts, our minds, and our so transform each and every one of us. Lord, we thank you for your mercy, your grace, and your love that you've shown to each and every one of us. I love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen.